quite what it means. So we want to talk about identity today. Uh, identity is, is so key um, to us. And in many ways, in our modern culture, people need a resurrection in their identity. They need a resurrection in their identity. Our identity, uh, if we look at it, well, first of all, what I want to take you on a journey on is what Pastor covered a few weeks ago. He talked about taking people on a journey from being curious about Christ or about church today, about identity. Take them on a journey to being, from being curious to being convinced. Convinced about Christ. Convinced about church today. Convinced about who you are in Christ Jesus. Who it is that God made you to be. And then take you to the point where you're then committed to it. And what does that commitment actually look like? It's one thing to know a thing. It's another thing to live that thing out, especially in the world that we live in. We're going to cover some difficult topics today. Now, the youth and the children are covering this topic from a different angle that's appropriate to their age. And they're not going into a dark area that I've got to take you into today so you can understand what's actually been happening. I'm going to take you to the roots of the sexual revolution that happened in the 1960s. You remember that? You know, free love, peace, love, dope, all of that stuff. The world was just going to be fantastic. And yet at the end of the 60s and in the early 70s, all of these hippies uh, came to Christ because they realized that the peace, love, dope, free love movement offered nothing. It was vacuous. It was empty. And they had no hope. And they had nothing on which to build their lives. So I want to take you on that journey. What is that commitment for us, what does it actually look like? I love Lunig. He's a, a great cartoonist. Uh, I absolutely love him. I love this, and I think it really captures the essence of our time, and it captures the essence of that thing that maybe if you haven't paid attention, you still know it's there. It's lurking in our culture. It's lurking in the news. It's lurking in the stories and just behind uh, everything. Warning. This is an inclusive facility. And if we think that you are talking, thinking, or behaving in a non-inclusive way, you will be excluded. Uh, I love Lunik. It's profound, but it's profound because it's true. So let's, let's take a look at what it is that we, we need to be committed to. This is our goal. We want to arrive at a point of being committed, and we want to be committed to this. I think this is a key verse. As, as, we're, as Casey City Church is mobilizing this year, we're mobilizing out into the community. We have penetrated the community deeply in key areas. That is all part of the vision and the purpose of Casey City Church. We bear the name of the city because it's part of our vision. It is core and central to it. To bring transformation in the community requires that we be there, that we be present and that we be engaged with the culture there. So I won't go down the list. If you've been at Casey City Church for any period of time, you know some of the things that are going on. I do chaplaincy a few days a week at Federation University. I did it under Monash. There was a cap over the campus. I could hardly do anything, but I was still there, praying, walking the corridors, doing what I could. But now under Federation University, I have an open heaven 
done something in this time and in this period that we're in. We're in a period of flourishing. We're watching the flourishing. What does flourishing look like? Well, flourishing looks like you and me committed to a purpose. So core verse for us to hang our hat on when we're praying for our neighbors, when we're engaging people, when we're living out our Christian faith in the sight of other people, speaking it if we have to, but living it out in front of them. And I say speaking it because your life should be your greatest testimony. It sh your life should invite a question. And it, Peter captures it here in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Israel Falau, rugby player, in a lot of hot water, it looks like, but he's not in hot water at all. If you look at the essence of what he said, he paraphrased scripture. And people got stuck on really one thing about homosexuality in what he said, because that's the hot topic of the time. Unless you're going to put your stamp of approval on people living in a way that God did not design people to live, unless you're going to say, yeah, God supports that, unless you're going to throw your weight behind it, then you must not be a Christian and you're not okay. He spoke very clearly. He also listed some sins that I, I certainly suffered from and occasionally still do. How about you? I am in need of salvation. Hallelujah. I've got it. It's secure. I'm born again. I know where I'm going. But you know what? I'm walking out my salvation with fear and trembling. Amen? Yes. Amen. I'm being transformed daily. I'm a better man today than I was yesterday. Although I was pretty good yesterday. <laughs> but I'm just getting better. Amen? But not because of me, but because of Christ. So when we witness to people, we need to make sure first that we sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Get your heart right because it's out of your heart that you speak and you live before people. And it is because of that witness, because of your speech and your conduct that they will ask you the question. I put the ball back in God's court. I love sharing the gospel with people and I find myself doing it all the time. My, my prayer is, okay, God, I'll share it with anybody who comes up. I walk into a secular environment where you shouldn't be preaching. Okay, okay, God, you move on someone's heart. You have them come up and start the God conversation with me. And they do again and again and again. And you're in because they asked for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I can tell them about that night that Jesus came and saved me. I can tell them about that night that I came alive and changed. I haven't been the same since. Hallelujah. I can't sin properly anymore. I used to be a great sinner. I was good. What are you doing on Friday, Saturday night, Kevin? I got plans to sin. And then I got saved, and it was like, I'd really like to go out and do what I used to do, and I just couldn't do it properly anymore. And God led me out of that, hallelujah. Let's look at what identity is. Our identity 
Our identity is two things, image and purpose. We are made in the image of God. You can go to Genesis. We'll look there quickly, but Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we're made in the image of God. We're made in his image with purpose, defined purpose. You got to go to scripture to work out what your purpose is. Amen? You got to go to scripture to find out how it is that God wants us to live and function. He designed us to live a certain way, and it's specific. What Israel Falau got into hot water over was by saying, these are the things that are killing you and separating you from God. These are the things that you're responsible for. But Christ came to save you and to transform you. And he can change all of that. He's paid for all of it. That's good news. But if people get stuck on the first thing because they found themselves in that list, because they found themselves there or someone they care about there, and they get offended by that, well, it shuts it down. So we've got to be able to engage some of these issues to help people over that speed bump. We've got to be able to help them over it. And we've got to be able to look at the attack. There's an attack on identity, and that attack is on image and purpose. Both image and purpose. Think for a minute. Think of the news. Think of images that you've seen on the news that show people who look the way that God never intended them to look. I don't have to present anything. I've got, Lunig is the only picture I've got in here. I don't need it because you guys all have it in your head. You're aware of it. And the attack is on purpose as well. So if we're going to look at restoration of identity, we're looking at the restoration of both image and purpose. Image and purpose. Those two things make up our identity that God created for us. If you go to the Isle of Cyprus, there's a big church there and everything. I think it's the Church of Lazarus or, or whatever. Lazarus, you know, Jesus' friend. But that big church that they built there started because there used to be a small burial site and a rock with an inscription on it where there was a man that was buried and his name was Lazarus and the inscription reads, Lazarus. Four days dead, friend of Jesus. His whole life summed up. Summed up by the resurrection power of his friend, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my friend, and he's my resurrection. Hallelujah. Amen. The gospel is good news to a world that's dying. But we're being invited to be silent, to shut up, to not offend people. We're being labeled intolerant. I'm sorry. That's fine. If I go back to 1 Peter, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better. It doesn't feel better, but don't base your theology and your conduct in life on your feelings. Your feelings lie. Your feelings can be manipulated. Your feelings are like an appetite that can get out of control. Someone who overeats. You can overeat in your emotions, constantly craving this one and that one. So let's look at the source where we find the image of God. I'm just going to look at it briefly. I will make all of this available 
uh, in an email uh, that will be sent out. If you don't get emails from the church and you'd like to get this email with all of the references uh, from today in there, then please fill out a newcomer slip. Uh, make sure you've got your name on there, and we'll send it out to, to everybody that's in the database. In Genesis 1, verses 26 to 29, And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing, things that creep on the earth. So that God create, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, we're getting to purpose here, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's in our genetics we have a genetic potential to multiply. Not everyone can. We pray for people like that and we support people like that. But within the design, within the genetic potential, all of us were created to be able to multiply. But multiply is male and female coming together, becoming one flesh. Genesis 2, verses 18 to 24. God said, yeah, it's not good that man should be alone. <laughs> God had been going, uh, and it is good, day one. Day two, it, it is good, day three, and it is good. The only thing he said, it's not good. And then he brought the solution to it was that man should be alone. Says the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then it goes on to describe that and when Adam was presented with Eve, he said, This is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So shall, a so shall she be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And it says that they became one flesh. They became unified, connected, just according to God's plan, his, his design. And they multiplied. And it says that when they were together, they were naked and there was no shame without shame. Our sexual desires that are so much a hallmark of modern society since, since the sexual revolution happened, that you somehow have a human right to be sexually gratified, and your pursuit of that is part of your pursuit of happiness. Well, it's not exactly the case. That's slightly out of place with what God designed and what he intended. If we look at the attack on identity, did I get there? There we go. Thanks, bro. If we look at the attack on identity, the attack on image and purpose, how does Satan do it? Well, we see it in Genesis 3, verses 1 and 5. We see the serpent. And the serpent is cunning. It's Lucifer in disguise. And he questions Eve. He says, has God indeed said about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Has God really said not to do that? He introduces a question. Satan is attacking identity, image, and purpose. He's attacking it with questions. With children, it might be, 
are you really a little boy? Are you really a little girl? Introduce the question. Open up the heart just a little bit and then plant the lie so that the lie can then be entertained. There's an attack on children today that is unprecedented uh, in our society. But it comes with this modus operandi of questioning the intent and the design that God has for us. We see Satan using the exact same thing in Luke 4. The temptation in the wilderness, Jesus baptized at the Jordan, goes led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And Lucifer comes in with a question about identity. In verse 3, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you've been fasting for a long period of time, the last thing you need to eat is bread. It causes your gut to expand and then splits your stomach and you're dead. That was a death kill. He was going in for the coup de grace, and it was just in a simple question. A question about identity and an invitation to do something else. He invites him to worship him. You know, if you'll just worship me, that's the next temptation. Hey, you can take a shortcut in life. You know, there's an easy way out of this. All you got to do is drop to a knee. Forget about what you're thinking you got to do. Why don't you just drop to a knee, worship me, no one will know, and then you got it. Everything is yours. How many times are we invited to compromise in little ways? And then the last one is, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Come on, go ahead, jump. What is this? Well, it's another question of identity and an invitation to prove it. Hey, prove it. How many times are you pressed? Prove it, Christian. Prove it. We get pressed. We do. I got people get aggressive with me sometimes. It's fine. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm going to love them back. I'm going to conduct myself in a way that is kind and generous, but I'm not going to back away from giving them truth, and I'm not going to edit what Scripture says so that they feel better about me. What does that achieve? Nothing of any eternal value whatsoever. Someone can go away and be offended with you for 10 years because of something you said that was truth. And you may never, ever see them again, but you may see them in heaven because you were the only person with enough courage to be offensive to them. Don't go out to be offensive. But people are already pre-offended. You know, batteries included. People are offense included nowadays. You just stay in that right place, stay in that right heart. But don't change who God's created you to be. Don't change your image and don't compromise your purpose. Don't compromise. The line is there. President Obama got America in a lot of trouble. He kept drawing a red line with Syria. We've got a red line here. And then they'd step across it. He'd go, okay, we've got another red line here. Here's one I prepared earlier. And they'd step across it. It just kept coming and coming and coming. So many people have died. He could have been more courageous. When we compromise, people get hurt. When we compromise, People get hurt. We can't compromise on truth. Am I doing all right? Yeah. You guys are quiet. <laughs> it's one of those topics, isn't it? Mm. 
So Satan questioned Eve, led to the fall, questioned Christ. He got through all of it. He got through all of it quoting Scripture, <laughs> knowing truth. Truth will get you through. But if you're not spending time in your Bible, if you're not spending time in prayer and in fellowship with the Lord, you're probably entertaining some strange ideas that might be possible. You might be. I bet you are. You know, it's not a problem if you do something about it. But if you just keep going down that road, well, it's not so good. John 8, chapter 8, verse 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. It doesn't mean he's an obvious liar. No, no, a good liar can convince you. Good liars are convincing, aren't they? I used to enjoy going to the West Virginia State Fair and one of my favorite competition was the uh, the world's uh, the what was it the world uh, liars competition, and it was literally you had to get up tell a tall tale, make it as tall as you could, and make everybody want to believe it. If you could hold that tension between being ridiculous and making people really actually want to believe it, then you would win. the The guy who won every year for like four years in a row was a preacher. So, so I don't know what's going on there. It was a good storyteller. Well, let's look at uh, some of the roots of it. I'm going to go into a place that, um, that is difficult, and I'm going to touch on a few things um, that, are, that are horrific. Um, I'm going to provide you with resources. There's about a 350-page PDF. It's a book that was written about part of what I'm going to share. You can go uh, and look at that. Um, but... Humanism is really man worshiping his own image. That's what humanism is. There's Marxist humanism, secular humanism. There's, uh, what, what do you call it, uh, esoteric. There's, um, you can, uh, what is it, uh, you know, it's like you're into metaphysics and whatnot. I don't know. There's all of these different forms of humanism. And what it really is is going, hey, we just got these desires and things, and I feel a certain way, and, you know, that's just part of human nature, and why don't we just find a way so we can pursue that? Let's normalize that so we can all just live like the human animal that we are. And core to humanism is a belief that we are actually animals, is evolutionary humanism, that we're just animals. You know, humanism, the humanists actually have something they admire about Christianity and about our Bible. And they've talked about their need to create a noble lie so they have some basis on which for one person to assign intrinsic worth to another. Intrinsic worth. You and I know, I know you have intrinsic worth. I know you do. I don't have to guess, and I don't have to be taught that deep within me. I know you have intrinsic worth, and my faith supports that. Christianity reinforces that idea. The Bible puts God's stamp on it that he made you. He cares about you. He created you with purpose. By design, you have intrinsic value. You're created in his image for his purpose. He's put his image upon you. You know, Jesus was asked uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus said, okay, pull out a coin. Whose image? Whose inscription's on it? They went, Caesar's. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. 
Give yourself to God. His image is upon you and his inscription is within you. Amen? Even if you have not come to faith in Christ, you, you don't believe this whole Bible thing, you still carry around in your conscience the inscription of God, of purpose. You know you're violating your purpose. Hallelujah. You know. I still sin today. How about you? And I know when I violated that purpose. It starts deep within and then a scripture pops to my mind and I go, ah, I got to go apologize to Jenny. <laughs> it usually centers around my wife. Not because of her, but because of me. She's good. Not that she's perfect. I don't want you thinking she walks on water in the shower or anything like that. So let's look at um, someone who came out of the humanism movement, the humanist movement. He was a, an atheist, a, a, a devout atheist. He was also a, a eugenicist. He believed that there were inferior races that should be eradicated. Same thinking that brought in Planned Parenthood in the United States, Jill Sanger. She put abortion clinics and lobbied for abortion clinics in the African-American communities to stop them uh, from reproducing, and to stop them from growing, all under the guise of we're here to help you. And if you look at the effect of just Planned Parenthood in the African-American communities in the United States, their population has plateaued. Abortion's wrong. I'm not here to preach about abortion today. But a eugenicist believes that some people have more worth than others, and that's wrong. Amen? We are all made. In his image. Alfred Kinsey was a eugenicist. Um, he was an Epicurean as well. He just sought pleasure and felt we were created just to pursue uh, pleasure. I'm going to talk to you about Alfred Kinsey, but not too much. Alfred Kinsey um, was at Indiana University. Here's what you need to know about this man. He was at Indiana University. Uh, he was a pedophile, uh, and uh, he was hiding within academia. Uh, he led a research lab that was researching sexual behavior of human animal, of the human animal, and that's how they referred to it. He built a soundproof room in which uh, unknowing parents would bring their infants uh, just so that they could experiment on them. We're not going to harm them in any way. More than 300 infants and little boys went into that soundproof room just based on the scientific data that Kinsey and his team actually recorded. They were sexually abused there. But all under the guise that they were enjoying it, with the stamp that they were really enjoying this. And screams were des described uh, as enjoyment. I don't want to go any deeper than that. <clears throat> but based on that uh, research, in 1948, uh, Kinsey published a book um, all about uh, the sexual behavior of, of the human male. And this book was an instant New York Times bestseller hit. This man was seen on every magazine in the world. Because suddenly everybody was sexually liberated. You have sexual desires, go and gratify them. And that was the foundation on which the 1960s, the free love, peace, love, dope movement 
that has changed academia, for sure, universities, but it's also changed our very culture. We have the Safe Schools Program. The Safe Schools Program, I can draw a direct line that between the Safe Schools Program that promotes this idea that you might not really be a boy, you might not really be a girl. Why don't you start experimenting with your sexuality at an early age and find out who you are? You can draw a line between that program. You can go all the way through La Trobe University and all the way back to Indiana University and all the way back to that soundproof room. Satan is the father of lies. He hates the image of God and the purpose of God. We know this, but we don't realize how close he's gotten to our camp. Do you know what I mean? Kinsey started the Kinsey Institute. He died in the 1950s. If he was unrepentant, I know where he is. Jesus said, better you put a millstone around your neck and jump in the deep blue sea. There's not much within me that desires for him to have found Christ. But there is something in me that still desires that. There's a judge, Professor Charles E. Rice, who having read this 350-page document, well-researched into the crimes of Kinsey. It's called Kinsey, Crimes and Consequences. Uh, it's phenomenal. It was done in the 80s. He said in his summation after reading it, this is uh, a law professor at uh, Notre Dame Law School. He says, any judge, litigator, legislator, or other public official who gives credence to that research talking about Kinsey's research, is guilty of malpractice and dereliction of duty and ultimately crimes against humanity in my book. But the problem is, is like Pandora's box. Once this was out, once the sexual revolution happened, you've got sexologists, people who study human sexuality and coach people and help people. There's a very dark side to it. Safe schools. This is how close it is. So this is the Victorian Department of Education Gender Identity School Policy. This is their policy. As Christians, we believe parents have the right to raise their children according to their values, that the family is the basic building block of society. This requires the authority and presence of parents, the right of parents to say yes and no to certain things to shape their child's early life, that they would become a fully formed and value, valued member of society. But Marxist humanism desires to undermine the voice of the church in the community. And the lady who started uh, safe schools at La Trobe University is a confessed Marxist. She's been keynote speakers. She's talked about what it is that they're actually doing with the safe schools program. One of those things is to silence the voice of the church and the influence in the community. And the other is to uh, rip away the authority of parents over their children and take that authority and put it with the government. The government will determine what is right and wrong for your child. 
So here's what's in their policy. I'll have the link in the email. You can go and check it out for yourself. If no agreement can be reached between the, the student and the parent regarding the student's gender identity, or if the parent will not consent to the contents of the student management plan, it will be necessary for the school to consider whether that student is mature, a mature minor, enabling the student to, permit, to permissibly make decisions for themselves without parental consent. Principles will need to be satisfied. In other words, decide. Went one too far. We'll need to, principles will need to be satisfied or decide that the student has sufficient maturity, understanding the, uh, in, and intelligence to make their own mind about a particular issue, such as decision-making around name changes. This is the decision for the principal and a written record should be kept regarding the decision, including consideration of whether the student understands the consequences that might flow from the relevant decision. So if someone gets a hold of your child and begins to plant these ideas in their mind and begins to foster these ideas, if they're able to do that, your child can go to school, and if you oppose it, then a principal, a principal gets to decide based on their own ideology, of course, what's going to be right and what's going to be wrong for your child. That's a dark place in our society. I hope you would agree. Even if you sit in a different position on this issue that I'm touching on, I hope you would agree with me that the authority of parents is important. Society falls apart without that. And as for Marxism, I dare anyone to show me a nation that has been handed over to the Marxist where tens of millions of people did not die. I dare anyone. Marxism doesn't produce anything. It doesn't produce a good outcome. When you silence the church and you disempower the parents and the state determines everything, you're in a very dark place. The state becomes God. And we know who the God of this world is. Okay, that's the worst part of this presentation. Have a drink. Sin. Sin defined. Sin is a violation of purpose. You can look at it sexually. Uh, you can look at it in any number of ways. But sin in Scripture is a violation of purpose. So wherever it is that we've sinned, you can think about it. God wants you to be a different way. He wants you to conduct yourself with other people in a different way. Sin is a violation of purpose. God doesn't ignore sin. If we look in Romans 1, and you really have to look at all of Romans 1. I'm just going to run through some of it. If you look in Romans 1, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth. And then it goes on to talk about that truth being within them. Suppressing the truth that is within you. God's written some things on your heart. Whether you are a Christian or not, God's written those things there and you have to suppress those to live against God. This brings anger to God, for he wants us to live out of that place of purpose within us. 
And people who persist in this, it goes on to say in verse 21 that they become worthless in their thinking, and as a result, their foolish hearts become darkened. This is in Scripture. This is not Kev being judgmental. This is a God who is a righteous judge telling us the situation that we're in. And when it goes on for so long, when you get to verse 24, you see that God will hand them over to it. It would be like, have you ever had a kid and they're just focused on doing something over there and they're so excited about it, but they're going to cross the street and they're about to shoot across and duck across that street and you grab them and hold on to them, but they're like, what are you doing? Are you nuts? And they're trying to get away from you. God says that when we persist in our insistence on living against his purposes, when we insist on it so much and our heart becomes darkened, God eventually gives us what it is that we desire. And you see it three times here. Verse 24, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts and is talking specifically there about sexual impurity. Because by choice they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Verse 26, God gave them over to degrading and vile passions. And it goes on to talk about uh, conduct that is lesbian in nature and homosexuality amongst men. And then verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or consider him worth knowing, that is key. When people had arrived at a point, it's like, I don't want to know you, God. I don't want to know you at all. It's like that is the lowest point. Not to even consider him. It says God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are improper and repulsive. Sin is a violation of purpose. And this is a perfect description of that internal mechanism within us when we violate sin. I remember before I got saved, before I was born again, before Christ took up residence on the inside of me and began to change me from the inside out, began to speak truth to me. I didn't have a Bible at all. But suddenly there's this truth that's just come alive inside of me. It's like, wow, I should do this differently. I should be different. I should stop this. I don't need to do that anymore. I might be able to do this differently. God, I quit looking for women. I quit. I suck at finding the one with a good heart. I'm no good at it. I believe she's alive and breathing somewhere on the planet. A little over a year later, she came. God's good. He's very good. Hallelujah. I'm going to skip a few. God doesn't ignore sin. Read Romans 1. Go through Romans 1 with your youth. Go through it with your youth. Take this message and dovetail it in because they're down there talking about the image of God. God made them male and female and with purpose. They're talking about that part. They're not covering the whole Kinsey thing. That's for us. All right? This is, a, this is not a PG session. The Bible says in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, that wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction. 
but we're all about the restoration of identity, the restoration of God's image and his purpose in us. If sin is a violation of purpose, then salvation is the restoration of that purpose. The message we carry, the good news that we carry is indeed good news because it restores purpose within people. Where there was no hope, suddenly there is hope. Why is there hope? There's hope because purpose comes alive again. Hallelujah. Amen. The resurrection on the inside of me. My hope of what? My hope of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21, it talks about us being a new creation. Hallelujah. New creature, new features. Amen? Amen. New creature, new features. You can go and read it for yourself. But it talks about us becoming ambassadors for Christ. Coming alive for a purpose to go and tell somebody else about it. Hallelujah. To go and live a witness amongst people who are lost and in darkness and dying, who have bought a lie. Satan's got a lot of lies. Broad is that path. Wide is that gate that leads to destruction. Pick your flavor. Hallelujah. It's all poison. But narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that we walk on. And we're ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of kingdom, of Christ. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17 says, Set your mind on things above and not on things below. It actually goes on to say, Put to death the desires that rage within your flesh. That tear at the very purpose of God, the design of God. Put them to death. Hallelujah. Apparently you have the power to put those desires to death. When Christ comes and lives on the inside of you and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you have power. Hallelujah. Anointing. What is the anointing? It is burden removing and yoke destroying power that comes directly from God. Pick a lie, any lie, shine that light on it in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Darkness must flee, but it takes truth to do it. Romans 1, verses 16 to 17. Paul, if you read in Romans 1 like we were before, he goes on to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Hallelujah. I'm going to read that one to you. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It goes on to say, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith. In other words, disclosed in a way that awakens more faith. When I share the gospel with somebody, I'm stirring faith on the inside of them that God exists. I'm stirring faith on the inside of them that God is a good God. I'm stirring faith on the inside of them that God's love changes things. I'm stirring faith on the inside of them that what happened on the cross matters today and can change their situation. I'm stirring faith, hallelujah. I'm stirring faith, hallelujah. 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 We're stirring faith. We're stirring faith. Holy Spirit's working, but we're stirring faith. We're putting it out there, and then God's going, let me drive that one home. Hallelujah. I love to play darts. You know, I'm no good at it anymore. 
you know, the arm and everything, but I always wanted somebody when I, was pl I wasn't playing well, when I was having a bad day, I always just wanted to be able to throw the dart at the board and have some invisible somebody just grab it and go thunk. Bullseye. I wanted that. But that's what God does. We just chuck it out there, and then he takes it and goes, thunk, bullseye. Amen? And they might even go, ouch, and get offended. But that's all right, because they'll go away later, and the Holy Spirit will just work on that. Work on that. Work on that. My uncle, when I was eight, shared the gospel with me one night, and it saved me when I was 22 and suicidal. Got me off the drugs. Whew. Hallelujah. What a God. What a God. Restoration. Restoration brings transformation. I want to grab this. Take a picture of it. Transformation does what morality alone cannot do. Jesus restores intrinsic worth when he restores our identity. He restores back to you dignity. He restores back to you your intrinsic worth. This is the message that we share you ever heard of Penn and Teller, the illusionists, those guys? Well, Penn Gillette is an, a rabid atheist, absolute atheist. But you know what? He has come out in defense of Christians who share the gospel. He said, well, every time they come up to me, I sit there and I listen to them and I give them my full attention because I realize that for them, they are committing the greatest act of love. And then he went on to say that how could someone believing what they believe Believing what they believe, be silent about it. If an atheist will create space for Christians to express love to them, if an atheist will do that because it is the greatest act of love and everybody longs for love, amen? Amen? amen. And what kind of love is it that's a sacrificial love? You're taking a risk. You're sharing the gospel with somebody. You know what? It's worth it. Offending them, the risk of offending them is worth it. Hallelujah. Getting fired is worth it. Fine. Fire me. I'm a Christian. I've got the best news in the universe. I'm the world's best salesman, not because of me, but because of my product. Hello, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. Hallelujah. Woo. Resurrected Jesus resurrected me. When I don't want to preach Bible at people, I just tell them about the night I got saved. I just tell them about that night. I don't even have to preach about Scripture. I didn't even see in the Bible what had happened to me until over a year later. But it happened to me. Whew. God changed everything. Transformation is an identity miracle. Salvation and the transformation it brings is an identity miracle. We look for miracles in our bodies and miracles for this, that, and the other. And I would love to see some water turn into wine. All that stuff would be very cool, but it would also seem a little bit Disney because my real goal, I want to see people transformed. You ever have the joy of leading somebody to Christ and they've just asked Jesus into their heart and they burst into tears and laughter? Have you been there for that? Hallelujah. What just happened? The greatest miracle just happened. That cross 2,000 years ago just went bang and hit somebody else. Hallelujah. 
When we talk about going, helping people go from being curious to convinced to committed, we got to stay engaged with the culture. It's not just about you being curious and convinced and committed to church and to being discipled and to discipling other people. It's about you being convinced and committed to the need to actually share the gospel. Church, if we get fired up, if we get fired up, and we take the message that we have, and we go to the city and all of the areas that we've penetrated it, and we preach the gospel to as many people as we can, led by the Holy Spirit, you know we will not fail. We cannot fail. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. But if we don't go, if we, if we obey the world's command to be silent and to shut up, then we've already failed before we've even tried. Amen? Amen. We got three days of prayer and fasting. I hope you took down the dates. We need to be in here, committed. We dodged a bullet at the last election. We've got a prime minister, and I quote, I love this, talking about safe schools. We don't need gender whispers in our schools. Let kids be kids. I say amen to that. Amen, amen to that. But you know what? You remember last year and the year before when we were crying out, God, give us godly leadership. We want godly government. You come in, you change. The scripture says God raises up governments and he takes them down. Hallelujah. You can't look at Scott Morrison and say that God didn't raise him up because scripture says that he did. Hallelujah. And he's the right person for the time. Hallelujah. We got a Holy Ghost rolling Bible-believing, tongue-talking prime minister. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Someone who can stir himself up in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. John 10. This is it. I am the door. This is the gospel. I am the door. This is Jesus himself talking. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will, not, and, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy what? To steal truth, kill the image of God, and destroy purpose. Hallelujah. To steal, steal truth, kill the image of God, and destroy purpose. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Yes. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Hallelujah. This is a great website if you want to stay up to speed on what's happening almost daily around gender identity and the attack on kids in schools. It's binary... .org.au. All of this will be in the email. Hallelujah. We're in a good time, church. I want to just invite you to stand with me. If someone can, we can just stand. I want to invite you to stand with me. But when you stand up, this is not, you know, boy, I'm slightly, slightly tired. It's been a long sit on the seat. I do apologize for running over but I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it. 
I want you to stand to make a commitment to be committed to what it is that we're doing. We're called with a purpose for just such a time as this. You are not breathing oxygen in 2019, born again, spirit-filled, and plugged into Casey City Church without purpose. You have purpose, and we need every last one of you. We are not a 10% of people doing 90% of the work church. We're not that church. Hang out here. We're just not that church. About 80% of y'all do something, but we got a lot more to do. Amen? It's time. We're going to take people on that journey from being curious to convinced to committed, but we got to make sure we're on that journey ourselves. Amen? We got to get fired up. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray. Father, I just thank you. Father, I ask that what's being shared today by your Holy Spirit would stir within hearts and minds, Father, that it would change attitudes and even beliefs, Father, where the enemy's gotten in and planted seeds of lies. Father, I just pray that those would be destroyed right now in the name of Jesus Christ, that the fertile soil of hearts and minds today at Casey City Church, everyone hearing the sound of my voice, that the fertile soil of their heart would be laid open. Lord, that you're truth would be planted deep within it, Lord, that there would be a desire to know your word, to know your truth, but to experience you daily, Lord, to know the intimacy of being born again and spirit-filled, filled with your Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that there would be courage that would come, Lord, that, that courage that would come that would hold people through the discouragement when, when what they're sharing and, and the life that they're living is rejected by others. Father, courage that they would know that they're not alone, that they're in a long lineage, a long lineage of people who've been sharing the good news, hallelujah, the good news since, since 2,000 years ago, Lord, hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you. I just pray you just set Casey City Church on fire. Just set us on fire, hallelujah. If you want to be set on fire, just raise your hands in the air. I'm not looking. Just raise your hands. Lord, set me a light. If your prayer is, Lord, just set me a light. Set me a light for your purpose, Lord. Set me a light for your purpose, Lord that's your prayer just lift your hands just as we sing one more song let's let's do one more song amen let's just tarry a little bit longer hallelujah let's tarry a little bit longer hallelujah thank you lord bless you lord bless you lord thank you jesus thank you lord